This morning's passage comes to us from the book 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Well, good morning. My wife uh, grew up here in Boise. She was a golden girl at Capitol High School, which is a drill team, a dance uh, group. Uh, I didn't have this in high school. I didn't know what this was all about, but it's a big deal uh, in these parts, drill teams and all the competitions that go on. And uh, Kina has always loved dance and things that revolve around dance and, and everything that goes on. And so whenever there's the big competition, she goes to those and just really enjoys that. Well, what that means for us in the Ritchie household is that uh, there are TV shows now that uh, involve dance. And uh, so we, we are very much tuned in to uh, especially Dancing with the Stars. Um, see how Emmett Smith did this week? He did really good. But we love stuff like that. I've kind of got drawn in with Keena on some of these things. And then there's this new show that came on. And I don't even know the title of it, but the gist of it is this. Uh, there's a bunch of young, young girls who are trying to be the best dancers basically in the nation. And there's kind of this, uh, this instructor. Her name is Abby. And she's just kind of this really strong, uh, aggressive, real assertive woman. And she just tells them all their flaws, and it's this heavy competition. And so Kina was watching it the other night, and I came in the room, and, and here's what happens in these, in these competitions for kids. Is the scene I walked into is these two moms of these two different daughters, and they are in each other's face. And they're just, they're this close, and the moms are just yelling at each other. All the girls are around the room, and they're watching all of this. Don't you talk about my daughter that way. Other moms like, get out of my face or you won't want to see what will happen to you. And they're going back and forth and back and forth. And I mean, we're just ready for fisticuffs to happen. All the little girls are just standing there. They still all start crying. The moms are just getting into it. And, and this is what we get to observe on TV in this dancing competition. And as you watch this, you realize... How childish is this? How absolutely foolish, childish, immature is this? That those who are supposed to be the parents, the adults, are worse, truly worse, than the children. They have not grown up one iota. And Paul, as he's coming into the Corinthian church, is dealing with with a bunch of adults 
new believers who are acting like children. They're in each other's face. There's lots of quarreling that's going on and lots of challenge back and forth. And as you watch their life and as Paul addresses them, he's addressing them as those who haven't grown up yet. And who he wants them to grow up. And he's rebuking them in chapter 3 for their immaturity, for their childish, childish behavior. And the thing that's kind of beautiful, at the same time, he's reminding them of who they are in Christ. That God intends them to grow up, to grow up in Christ. And bigger picture, which we can't forget about the book of Corinthians, is that they would grow in unity together. That they're loving each other well. That they're drawing towards each other. That they're caring about each other's spiritual lives. That they're helping each other grow up in Christ versus getting in each other's face and acting like babies. So how does Paul view this church in Corinth? He says, I I wanted to address you as as spiritual people. Jackson used that word last week and it it has the idea of uh, people of the soul, soulful, that that are filled with God. I wanted... I wanted you to have that connection to be mature. But I couldn't do that. I wanted you to be people who were controlled by the Holy Spirit and speak to you in such a way. But instead, I had to speak to you as people of the flesh. Carnal is actually the word there. That's a pretty strong word. I had to speak to you as people who were carnal. And that idea is that that we are are so attached to, to the flesh and things of the flesh, what we lust after. All the different things, our appetites that are strong. And and we're so attached to it that what happens is for us is that we're just drawn into sin very easily. The flesh wants to move here, and so I respond. And I sin against my Lord. It has the idea of having an animal appetite. You know, if you can picture a beautiful, powerful lion who has gotten its prey in the field, feeding on that appetite. I wanted to talk to you as adults. People who were actually growing up in the Lord. But I have to speak to you as those who are living in the flesh. And then he goes even further than that. You know, as you, read, as you read this passage, you go, are these people are these people even Christians? Paul has to address them as those who are controlled by the flesh. Are they, are they Christians? And this, quite honestly, is a big theological debate that goes back and forth between these heady theologians. And it makes you wonder, as you read it, you go, what's going on with this church that are supposed to be following Christ? Are they really? Have they really ever accepted the Lord? I think the, I think the text indicates that they are, that they are followers of Jesus. But I think the, the text also indicates that they, they are so young 
And they have such an incredible wrestling with the flesh. And Paul is trying to move them out of that. Reminding them of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Sometimes we get stuck right there, don't we? We're just always wrestling with the flesh. And in our own strength, somehow, we're trying to get out of our our carnal appetite. As though we can do it ourselves. And we don't depend on the Holy Spirit. And you get stuck. You get stuck. Do you remember remember what Paul said in Romans 7 about himself? It's a great chapter in the Bible. Basically goes like this. He's like, doggone it. Why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do? And the things that I want to do, I don't do. And he says, oh, the, the, the law, the good word of God, that, that's of the Spirit, but I, am, I just have the flesh that's taking over me. And Paul, great Saint Paul, even wrestles with the flesh. I think the difference between Paul and where the Corinthian church is is that those in the Corinthian church were just staying there, stuck. We're getting in each other's face. Don't you talk to me like that. And I think Paul was one who finally decided, you know what, like that first song we sung this morning, hey, Spirit, I submit. I submit to you, Lord. I'm going to let you lead my life. I think Paul got to that place where, yeah, there's wrestling, and, and while we live here in this flesh, we will struggle. But we don't have to stay stuck there. And we don't have to, we don't have to sin. Sometimes we've given over. It's like, oh, you know, I'm just going to sin anyway. God's full of grace, so let's just keep sinning. Romans 6 says, are you kidding me? Knock it off. Should I keep on sinning so that grace may abound? No, no way. No way. He speaks to them as young, wrestling in the flesh. I couldn't address you as spiritual. You're mere infants, you're babies in Christ. And I gave you milk. And I kept giving you milk. This is what they had on their shelves in every Corinthian home. Gallons and gallons of milk. And Paul says, that's not enough. You're living as babies. You're living as infants. And he rebukes them. But don't miss the rebuke. The rebuke comes with a lot of grace. And it's something we should be doing for each other. It's calling each other into godliness. With love, right? Say, hey, God has more for you in your life. You're just, you're stuck. You know what? I got to be honest. In the last year, I don't know if I've seen a change. We should all be growing in Christ. We have God dwells in us. The Lord has given us His Holy Spirit to grow. And they still are on milk. They still want the bottle. And he calls them mere babes. What, what are some of the characteristics of babies? Think about it for a minute. I asked the pastoral staff this. Jackson Kramer says, characteristics of babies. He goes, well, they're awfully cute. 
That's a grandpa answer, isn't it? I mean, come on. Let's get a parent answer. And what's really going on? You know what? Here's characteristics. They're fussy. They're totally self-absorbed. I mean, it really is, if you're, if you're real honest, for babies. It's all about them. It just is. Everything revolves around them. They know it. They love it. It's all about who they are. The reality about babies, they don't have a ton of motor skills or mental skills. They can't quite walk yet. You know, you'll be sitting there talking to them, reading them a paper, asking them about, you know, who they think we should vote for. And they spit up on you. I guess we all sort of do that amidst these debates, you know, a little bit. We'll spit up. Here's the truth about babies. They mess their diapers all the time. All the time. And there's an incredible smell in the room. And they just sit there with this little smirk on their face, as content as can be. Amidst the stink. And they seem to think there's no problem. And we know there's a problem. I think that's what's going on with the Corinthian church. They're sitting in their stink, and they're kind of going, what? What? Everybody else knows there's an issue. They don't seem to get it. They're babies. They will not grow. They're allowing themselves to just, to just live in the flesh and to be controlled by the flesh instead of being controlled by the Spirit. They're not surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ to fully have authority in their lives. And so he says... Here's more milk. I wanted to treat you like grown-ups. And I want to speak to you, and I still can't speak to you as grown-ups. You can't handle the things of the Lord. And so here's more milk for you. And I think it breaks Paul's heart. I think it breaks the Lord's heart. They can't take the solid food. Hebrews 5 says this, For though... By this time, you ought to be teachers of the Word. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the Word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses experienced. They've exercised and they discern both good and evil. Paul is pleading with the church to grow up. And it's for each of us, isn't it? As you think about your spiritual journey, it's a good good look in the mirror, isn't it? Am I growing up at all? Am I responding differently? Am I showing love in different ways? Am I growing up? Do I know God more? Am I in His Word? Am I surrendering my life unto Him? He wants us to grow up. They're not ready for it. And He says, you can't even handle it. He basically uses that word that we talked about a couple weeks ago, dynamite. He says, you don't have the dynamite 
to handle more than what I'm giving you. Basically, you don't have the power. You don't have the power to even receive more of the good truths of God because you're, you're controlled by the flesh. What's he really saying? I think he's saying you're not remaining in the vine like John 15 speaks to us. That you're not being guided by the Holy Spirit. That, you know, we kind of have this, this big, cheesy Christian smile on our face and we're, we're kind of really faking our Christianity, trying to look like we're Christian. We're in the church. We show up on Sundays. But we're totally missing it. We're missing our relationship with Christ. It's a call for all of us, isn't it? I've been a follower of Christ for a long time, and we've got to be real honest. There's some times where it's just like, I'm just living in myself. And I haven't grown at times because I'm just living for myself and I'm living in my own power. And I'm thinking I've got to figure it out somehow. You know, whenever you get a little older, you're like, hey, I've kind of got life figured out. Getting better at this thing. And then the Lord's like, what? And I think he's saying, knock it off. Stop being a bunch of babies because there's so much more life to have in Christ and you're missing it. There's so much more about life together. And what are the indicators that they're, that they're not growing up? What's he saying? He's saying, listen, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing about the church is that there's still this incredible quarreling and there's this jealousy among you that's going on. There's all this fighting and division that still exists in your midst and you're acting like babies. Don't talk to me that way. He's saying the quarreling is still intense. You know, he brings up this issue of Apollos and Paul again. He brings it up many times in these first few chapters. And you know, when I first was studying this, I'm like, oh, okay, there's kind of this connection to Apollos and Paul. But he keeps bringing it back. Now, when scriptures do that, what that means is it's a serious deal. This is really consuming you. This area of flesh and pride is really taking over your life. He's saying you're acting like babies in the middle of it. And it's causing division in the body. Simon and, and Shara Tomi lived in New York City. They had one thing they agreed on. The house is mine. They wanted a divorce. They wouldn't give up the house. They both said it's my house. So here's what the judge did. Court ordered. We will build a wall in the middle of your house. It's going to be a sand-colored wall, neutral. It'll be right in the middle of your house. You guys can figure it out. And so the husband would literally, it was New York City, so he'd literally have to climb outside on a stair well, and he'd climb outside on the stairs, and he'd have to go through this upper window in order to get down and into the house and get down into the living room to use that area. And then she would complain that the Simon would always like bang on the walls and that the heat was controlled on his side. So just to get at her, he would turn off the heat when it was cold. And just this bickering going on and this wall put up. 
And when you read that story, it was in the Los Angeles Times. When you read that story, you're like, how childish. Right? And Paul's going, you're acting like children. You're creating, you're putting up this wall. And you're just bickering back and forth, and it's destroying your relationships. And it's all about Paul and Apollos, and, and it's, it's about making this connection. You know, it's kind of like, hey, if I'm connected with Larry, and Larry's this great leader, and if so, if I say I'm with him, then I'm kind of moving up in the church ranks, you know, or my, just who I am, my status is really increasing with Larry, right? And that's what they're doing. They're saying my status is better. They're, they're, they're looking to the things of the flesh to say this is, this is what life is all about, and this is how I want to connect in, and I want, to, I want my name to be known because I'm connected with that person. And I'm looking for my growth in Larry. He's saying, are you kidding me? Knock it off. Isn't it amazing how the flesh loves to make connections with people of status, of influence? We love that. I went to this... Uh, the Switchfoot concert the other night uh, at the Knittering Factory. So, so for, for those of you maybe beyond that, it's just a cool band, pretty popular. And the Knitting Factory is kind of a neat setting. It's real intimate like this. And so the lead singer, I don't even know his name. I just kind of like their music. And he, he gets off the stage, and he walks right into the middle of everybody. And, and the room's only this big, so you're just right there with him. And then he starts he starts touching everybody, high-fiving everybody. And, and there was a bunch of people from the church who were there, and it was like, it was like this. He touched me? <laughs> Ray Lynn Chafee, where are you? Ray Lynn, I'm not washing his hand, you know. He came out, he was with me. And it was like, I mean, it's amazing how we're just so drawn to these people of status and influence. And if you want on my cell phone, I have a bunch of pictures you can look at. <laughs> I found myself, I'm like, click, 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 click. He's right there, you know? How cool. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be a superstar like that, but we're just, we want that influence and we want that connection. And God's saying, oh, there's so much more. Let me share with you, he says, what spiritually matters to God. Because you're missing it. You're missing it. And what spiritually matters to God is this. Look at, look at these next few verses. He starts to use an agricultural example. He says, what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Look at this. We're only servants. This is what matters to God. Through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each of you to his task. Yeah, you know what? I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But guess what? God is the one who made it grow. Verse 7. So neither he who plants, Paul is saying me, nor he who waters, Apollos, guess what we are? We're not anything. So knock it off. But only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters, they have purpose. And they'll be rewarded according to their labor. For we are together, we're just fellow workers, we're co-laborers. And we realize, Paul says, we realize it's God who's doing all the work. So stop this bickering. 
Stop holding on to flesh. Stop holding on to, to, to this argument over Paul and Apollos. We're nothing. Because what's happening is you're missing all the beauty of what God wants to do with your life. And that He as a church body wants you now to be the servants. He wants you to be sowing seed and, and watering. And so I wanted Mark and Adrian Fisher, who just got back from the check, I wanted them to give you a real life about what it means to be co-laborers in Jesus Christ. Come on up and share. Well, it was a privilege for us to join with the Kennings and a wonderful team of people from Cole to return to the Czech Republic and be God's fellow workers. We planted, watered, and then left, knowing that it is only God who causes the growth and that we can trust God and his plan for the Czech people. As you may remember, two Sundays before we left on the project, we shared a testimony that we intended to use in our concerts in Czech. In it, we opened up to you about the scars and wounds that are part of our team. We spoke in general terms of tragic occurrences from our childhoods and of the pain we have experienced in life. Some brought upon ourselves by our own bad choices and shortcomings and others just from living in the world. We felt that God clearly led us to share this in check. The conviction was that we could not stand before them appearing to be comfortable, well-to-do Americans and expect God to have any impact on them through us. The fact is we needed to be rescued and we have been rescued by the love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Well, God used this testimony to level the ground and he opened up many opportunities for serious conversations with Czech people. I would read a part and then it would be translated by a female Czech person. And then Mark would read a part and be translated by a male. Every time we did this, the room got very quiet. The atmosphere changed. Barriers of culture, barriers of language, barriers of age crumbled. As you know, we were hosted in the Czech Republic by Jared and Daniela Kenny, Cole's field staff who for years have been planting, watering, and patiently waiting and praying. We went with a team the first time one and a half years ago. We planted, we watered, we met others, friends and fellow workers with the Kennings who are serving in hard circumstances. One of the things we have learned about the Czech Republic is that it is a place where poets and playwrights are valued and musicians, I'll add. The first president elected after the Velvet Revolution in 89 was not a war hero, a businessman, or a politician. It was um, Václav Havel, a playwright. Mark and I want to read from a letter that Jared sent shortly after we returned from Czech. For a guy who grew up in Boise, he fits these um, poetic Czech values very well. And here's what he writes. Leaves fall in Olomots. They infuse the Yezanik Mountains with color as a final illumination of glory before the melancholy of cold, colorless winter. 
Last week, Adrienne pointed out that the short-term mission trip was half over. Sooner than a leaf falls, it will be over. Yes. Behold the cobblestone on the square. Grip the rail at Pension U Yacuba one last time as you ascend the stairs. Peer into the eyes of those who came to speak with you. Moses said it well. Soon it is gone, and we fly away. Psalm 90, verse 10. Jared continues. I drink a deep red wine from Mikilov as I write. I drink for joy. I drink in remembrance. Rescued, as we were known there. They played their first concert in Schoenperk at a national youth conference. We expected 40 to 60 people to come. Over 160 people packed the church. Some people had to sit on the floor. Some stood in the balcony. Martin, our our nephew and a member of the leadership team, said, I have gone to this church since I was born, and I have never in my life seen so many people here. The response amazed me. A standing ovation, tears in many eyes. A local Christian film producer wanted a copy, not the music, of the testimony that we read. A Christian radio station wanted to advertise the remaining concerts. We are still getting emails and having conversations with such positive feedback. I prayed in the stone-cold St. Moritz Church today. An already outdated poster for the rescued concert hung outside. The sun was setting, and brilliant light passed through the dark reds and blues and purples of the stained glass. Heart, you are like this church, stony and frigid and empty, and surrounded with the possibility of God filling you. Heart, you are like the Czech nation. I prayed and pondered. At each concert, people came and often sat with arms crossed, faces like cobblestone, very Czech. By the end of these concerts, these same faces were smiling or crying or folded in satisfaction or wonder, simply unchecked reactions. These same people applauded and stood and whistled, wanting more. Several people came up after the concerts and would just grab my hands, look deep into my eyes, and simply say, thank you. And still Jared's words here, with all short-term mission projects, you must ask, was it worth it? So much money and time and energy goes into these trips, and there is danger of being ineffective at best, or at worst, creating a flashy storm of a mess to clean up by those left on the field. Rescued played at nine events in five cities, six concerts, two church services, a weekend workshop. Over 1,000 people, believers and non-believers, attended these events. Over 16 local churches were involved. Six different denominations were represented. Many listened to the music, read the lyrics in Czech, heard the team testimony. There was lots of exposure, but the profound work of touching hearts cannot be counted or measured. Still Jared here. I think some of the most lasting fruit from this trip will come from the time the team spent with people outside of the concerts, staying in Czech homes in Orlova, playing two concerts 
and a church service with another choir made up of mostly non-believers, singing with 30-plus people during the workshop. Like leaves falling under a maple tree in October, I could fill this email with stories of people touched by this mission trip. Was it worth it? So our thanks to Jared for writing these words. Two things to close with. First, we invite you to our vision meeting to hear more perspectives of what took place in Czech. It will be Sunday, November 4th at 12.30 in this room. We will have Czech-style snacks and much to share. The second is a strong word of thanks to the body here at Cole. A project like this is expensive, and you supported us generously and well. Thank you. But a primary learning from an endeavor like this is how important prayer is for any kind of positive impact. One of the concerts we gave was for the students at the Catholic school where the Kenning's two daughters attend. Uh, it's Hannah and Liddy. The church connected with the school was full that day with kids from 8 to 15, as well as the staff, and many of those staff were Catholic sisters. It was a special time. One of the sisters talked with Daniela about the experience. She said that it was evident that our team and our music were covered by many prayers, your prayers. Some plant, some water, some pray, but it's God who causes the growth. We've been hearing uh, testimony of the trip and uh, it, it, the impact was profound. And God did an amazing work through this team. And uh, I want you to be blessed on November 4th and, and come and hear more because you'll just drink of the Lord. It was uh, truly a, an amazing trip. And we praise God together. And just like they finished up, that's who we are as a body of Christ. And, and, and that's what we miss. That's what we miss when we keep getting on each other, when we keep living in the flesh, when, when we don't allow ourselves to be controlled by the Spirit and to see the things of God and the kingdom of God. That's what we miss. And Paul, in his rebuke, is saying, hey, let's grow up and let's grow up together and let's grow in Christ together because God is doing this work and he's wanting us to be part of it. And it's not about what each of us does. It doesn't, doesn't matter who's, who's putting the seed. It doesn't matter who's watering. What matters is kingdom is taking place and that people are being exposed to the love of Christ. He's saying there's these jealousies amongst you. There's a famous chapter in Corinthians that has that word jealousy in it. Chapter 13, you know that one well, don't you? What does it say about jealousy? Love is not jealous. Saying, don't be just children who are stuck in jealousy. Because that's not what God's love is. They could have been a team that's like, oh, well, Adrienne's up there. She's leading this whole trip, and that's not fair. Or Zach, you know, he's, he's just, wow. 
or each different individual. There could have been a real draw to that. And there could have been jealousy. But God grew them up together. And they realized each other's gifts. And they realized the beauty of God's work in their midst. And that's what Paul is drawing the Corinthian church to. But for the moment, they're babies. And for all of us, God is saying, grow up. Because I want you to have life. I want you to have real life together. I want you to be part of the kingdom work. I want you to enjoy the gifts that I've given you, God is saying to us. And then he says one more thing. It's kind of an interesting thing about us. He says, you are, and he's speaking to the church, to us. You are God's field. I found that kind of interesting. It's a messy church. They're acting like a bunch of babies. Remember what I said in the beginning? It's not just about rebuking them. It's about reminding them of who they are in Christ. And reminding them what God's doing in their midst. You are, I am with you. We are God's field. And the imagery from that is, is the field is a place of, of harvest. It's land. And God is always working the land for his kingdom. That God is fulfilling his promises with the land, the people of God. All throughout the scriptures, and especially in Old Testament prophecy, we see God speaking to his people about the land and about the fulfillment. Here's what he says in Isaiah. I will pour water on this thirsty land and streams on the dry ground and I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings upon your descendants and they will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by the flowing streams. He's speaking of his people Israel and the descendants, and he's speaking of his people. And that's you and me. God is growing the land. He's harvesting the land. He's fulfilling his prophecy that all of this kingdom work is going to come to a beautiful promise that God's going to redeem his people. That God loves his beautiful bride. And he will someday come to take her to be with him where he is. That God is doing the work. And he wants us to grow up to realize that. That he's the redeemer, he's the restorer of his beloved. Isaiah 61. Then will all of your people be righteous, and then they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot that I have planted and the work of my hands. Isaiah 61, they are the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. The struggling church, that's us. We are the body of Christ together. And God reminds us through Paul as he ministers to the Corinthians and to us through the word of God that God restores the land. God's doing his restorative work in our midst. 
and that he's all about growing us up, reaping the harvest, fulfilling his promises to us. And Paul's saying, grow up in Christ because I want you to be part of the life of God and what he's doing. I want you to be part of his kingdom work. I want you to be part of all this fulfillment and promises. And the good news is that in the middle of all of our mess, do you see what he said? You are God's field. And so what that means is is God's going to do his work in our midst. He hasn't given up on us, praise the Lord, right? He hasn't given up on us. And so that we would grow up and surrender our lives. Not not waking up in the morning and saying, give me a gallon of milk. Saying, God, I need your word. I need your life. I surrender mine today. I want more than just milk. I want cookies. Let's grow up in Christ together. Yep, we'll be messy. But God's doing his work in our midst. And let's rejoice in the gifts of one another. Because it's beautiful. It's life-bearing. It's what took place in the Czech Republic. And what is taking place in our midst, I believe. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we are your field. And I thank you that you, through your Holy Spirit, rebuke us when we're wanting to just drink milk all the time. Forgive us, Father, when we cause division in our midst, when we fight against one another, when jealousies rise up. Lord, we surrender our jealousies to you. Help us to to just rejoice and see with your eyes the beauty of one another in this body. Help us to see what you're doing in our midst, that we might be part of all your kingdom work. And Father, we do want to surrender because we want life from you and you alone. And we surrender, again, our our desire for the flesh. Please have that, Lord. Please, we want to be controlled by you, your spirit. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that we are your bride. Amen.